how do infections break your immune system and can we recover? That's today on the Low Tox Life podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. His wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 287. And boy, did I have an interesting time interviewing the wonderful Dr. Gary Kaplan on the show this week. Uh, Gary comes to us from his integrative practice. He's the medical director of the Kaplan Center in McLean, Virginia, the first integrative medicine center of its kind in the Washington, D.C. area. He is uh, very well educated across a number of fields and uh, their practice integrates traditional and holistic uh, care to address chronic pain, chronic illness, uh, and get people better. So he actually has a new book out just this week. And the title of that book is Why You Are Still Sick. And as someone who has battled illness for many years now, just on six years, nearly completely better, which is very, very exciting to me. If you don't know my story, just Google. So you think you've got mold, low-tox life, and you'll get all our mold resources, which is a good thing, but also the link to my uh, story where I've shared that on the blog in the past. I don't want to bore you with it now, but uh, it's a very dark thing to have the kind of illness that is very rarely or scarcely recognized, very poorly understood by the majority of health professionals and where you get sicker and sicker and no one can tell you anything about how you might be able to get better. So anyone who's feeling like that out there today, I really hope that this show and some of the other resources we have pulled together in the past uh, are going to help you turn that around uh, because I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Uh, Gary is an incredibly compassionate physician. You can just hear it in the way he explains things. We go into a deep dive about the immune system today. So what an immune system is, what it needs to function healthily, what can start to attack it, bring it down, weaken it, make it go haywire. Uh, We talk about infections. We talk about environmental factors. We talk about psychological factors that can impact the immune system. And we, of course, also talk about how we might move through these illnesses to a brighter day and get better. So it's a very exciting conversation. I definitely urge you to go out and get Gary's book, Why You're Still Sick, uh, it's a groundbreaking. I've read through, I've scanned through most of it and read a few chapters to get the interview ready. You guys know me. I research very hard to make sure these conversations are juicy as and answer questions that I can feel our audience is going to have. Uh, and I can definitely vouch for the incredible resources this is going to be for thousands of people around the world. So I'll hook into that conversation in just a little minute, but two things that can definitely help you lessen the toxic burden in your home today are our two sponsors this month. So we have Oz Climate, our major sponsor for the year, 
all year, you have 10% off their Winix air purifier range and their incredible dehumidifiers. Uh, that's an Australian offer only, as is the um, water filtration offer, I'm afraid, guys. But uh, the good news is that 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE, ozclimate.com.au, they are so, so good at helping you answer questions about what kinds of units, what size, what capacity you might need for the type of home you have in the type of location that it is in the state that it's in. Uh, They're really, really helpful. So give them a buzz and have a chat about your situation and whether you need an an air filter, an air, air dehumidifier, or perhaps both, depending on the situation. Our second sponsor, who's just for this month, so you better get in quick, is Complete Home Filtration. They're back. They're Australia's number one whole home water filter system, reducing harmful chemicals from all the water in your home. So if you're someone who tends to get red splotchy skin or itchy after a shower, or the kids do after their bath, or they're coming out with eczema exacerbated by taking a bath, you might want to move from having jugs and benchtop systems and consider a whole home filtration system, especially if you own your home and you're going to be there for years. The good news is they've also actually, uh, based on feedback from their customers, added to the product range to include systems that can uh, be used for bigger homes, multi-storey homes, as well as rainwater systems and more. So you have 20% off the recommended retail price this month if you purchase one of their home filtration systems. Your code is LOWTOXLIFE. And again, give them a buzz, uh, completehomefiltration.com.au and chat about your home, your situation, and they're going to be able to walk you through what the best options might be. So there's nothing more important than the air we breathe and the water we drink. And I just love that we're able to bring you uh, solutions that make it a little lighter on the pocket uh, for you to make those transitions. So enjoy those uh, products and services. And of course, let's now talk to Dr. Gary Kaplan about why we might still be sick and how to truly get better. Enjoy, guys. Dr. Gary Kaplan, thank you. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Alex, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. So it's been a while since we've talked about the immune system on the Low Tox Life podcast. And uh, when I was looking at your incredible book, um, I felt that you were really well placed to take us on a a, a, a scenic tour of the immune system, when it's working for us, how it works against us sometimes, and then looking at the different ways our immune system can be violated, if you like, uh, by the world around us and by potentially what we're doing ourselves. And then that psychological brain component, which we just don't talk about enough when it comes to Uh, the immune system and getting sick and some of the flow on secondary effects uh, that then can cause psychiatric issues. So I'm thrilled that your body of work literally covers the whole shebang. And just before we hit record, we were talking about uh, some of the cases that you're working on, some of the research uh, that you are doing to support at-risk youths as well, who in the preliminary of your research, it looks like many can actually be helped and we can prevent years and decades of detention, prison uh, or depression and, uh, and a less 
fulfilled life than that individual could have if we actually started to look at root cause medicine um, and support that individual. So where do we start? I think I would love to ask you of all the things one can do as a doctor, you know, you're studying, you're getting towards the end of, you know, your first degree because most many doctors do multiple. When did you decide the immune system was going to be your baby? Uh, that was actually later on in my practice as I was getting out there. Um, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm born in family medicine and pain medicine. And so I was treating a lot of people with, uh, complex pain problems. Uh, and as in the late 1990s, uh, one of my academies, Mayor Academy of Pain Medicine, uh, decided that it was okay to use opioids uh, in order to uh, treat chronic benign pain syndromes. And it turned out, as we now know, to be one of the great disasters uh, that we've perpetrated in medicine. We, you know, tens of thousands of people dying a year uh, as a result of opioid overdoses. And what we saw in our own practice was I was watching my patients seesaw back and forth between depression and, um, and uh, chronic pain as we were treating them. And I got curious and frustrated uh, about what we could do better with this. And so I was fortunate to be able to uh, talk with a number of colleagues, Dr. Jose Apud, who's over uh, ahead of this, uh, the schizophrenic division at NIH, NIMH, uh, the National Institute of Mental Health in our country. Uh, I had a number of colleagues who were uh, neuroscientists over at uh, Georgetown where I teach. Uh, and so Mike Lumpkin <coughs> being uh, one of them and a number of other colleagues on the psychiatrist, uh, meditation expert, Tara Brock came into a few of our sessions also to help us out. And uh, so I created a study group where once a month, uh, we were sitting there looking at the literature going, what are we missing? Why is depression so related to chronic pain? I mean, obviously you're depressed if you're, if you're in pain all the time, but that wasn't quite right. And what finally showed up around the end of uh, 2000, 2009, the seminal article showed up that said, you know, there may be a relationship between uh, brain being inflamed and, um, and all of this stuff. And we looked heavily at that and that, led to uh, my first book, actually, uh, Total Recovery. And that was focused on the innate immune system. So let's pause for a moment and talk about the immune system because it's a great big place. All right, so, so on one side is the innate immune system. The innate immune system are your first responders. There's the guys that when you're attacked by an infection, um, when you have a problem, they swing into action and their job is to either blow up the invaders, such as... Uh, bacteria or parasites, uh, uh, or their job is to, when there's been cell destruction, say from trauma, uh, they clean up the mess. So think of them as the guys who are going to do the, uh, you're gonna do renovation on your living, okay? So the first thing you need to do, there's been water damage in your room and you, you've gotta get rid of all the mess. These are the guys who come in and do the demolition. They get rid of all the, all the walls that have been damaged. They tear up the carpet and get rid of that. And then their job is to say, okay, we're done. We're gonna go away. And the general contractor gets to come in and repair everything. But if that innate immune system is damaged, it then gets hyperreactive. Now it starts looking around and it goes, hmm, you know, your dining room looks like you could use some work. It starts tearing that up. And then it looks at your kitchen and goes, oh, let's fix up the kitchen. That's not going to go in the dining room. So we'll uh, 
will tear that up also. Now, the problem is it's one thing in your house and you're, you're coming and you say, stop. It's another thing when it's in your brain. And now what's happening is different aspects of your brain are getting torn up. And indeed, if somebody has a stroke, one of the things that happens is it's the overreactivity of the innate immune system that actually causes a much bigger stroke than you would have had otherwise as it gets overreactive. So you want it to react just enough in order to do, <clears throat> in order to limit the damage, okay, clean up all the dead cells and, and get all that stuff out of there so that the repair factors can come in and make everything new again. So that's the job of the innate immune system. And that immune system from a, uh, from a brain standpoint is mostly uh, three cells, microglia, which is the main cell, um, and then mast cells and uh, astrocytes. So we spent a lot of time studying the neurophysiology of those to understand how to make them better. Okay, uh, what sets them off to begin with? And then that, as soon as we understood what sets them off, then they go, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so what sets them off? Toxins and poisons set them off when they do cell damage. <clears throat> Psychological stress sets them off because that actually does cell damage. Sleep problems, such as sleep apnea, where you get loss of oxygen to the brain, sets them off. And so as we, we looked at those cells and said, okay, if these are the cells that are creating the problem, how do we, you know, infections set them off? How do we, how do we deal with that? So that was the first book, Total Recovery. Subsequent to that, the other thing we started finding is it wasn't enough. And why wasn't it enough? Because we were finding that there was an autoimmune process. Now, what's an autoimmune process? The autoimmune process is where the uh, immune system normally goes out and it says, all right, I'm going to kill COVID. Okay, you make antibodies and uh, it's, I'm going to go kill COVID. Okay, fine. Except that if it gets carried away with itself again and says, you know what? This tissue in your body looks very similar to what I'm targeting on COVID. I'm going to kill that too. Unfortunately, frequently it's your brain. So now what happens is you've got an autoimmune process that is where you're making antibodies to your own tissue. So now you're making antibodies to your brain. And so it becomes a very uh, complex picture once, the, once you've broken the acquired immune system. It's easier to quiet down the innate immune system, and we've got some good tools for doing that, but it becomes trickier to quiet down the acquired immune system. Uh, you've got to get rid of the problem, which is COVID, say. Okay, so COVID is an interesting problem, as we are all experiencing worldwide, because COVID... Uh, can do damage both in the innate and the acquired immune system. And uh, so this, and what, do we, what does it look like when the brain gets inflamed, okay? When the brain's inflamed, focus and concentration problems, problems with headaches, problems with sleep disturbances. <clears throat> you can have the brain itself has a couple, the nervous system has about three big areas. The brain itself, okay, so that's focus and concentration, headaches, uh, exhaustion, fatigue, Okay, so one of the problems we've had all along is we've been treating the symptoms as the disease when in fact the symptoms are the symptoms and we need to go back to the disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic depressive disorders, okay, that are non-responsive, chronic anxiety disorders. Uh, so we want to be, and, and barren behavior, we can see in, in our kids some pretty bizarre behaviors uh, as a result of these things. We can see pseudo seizures, we can see, uh, I just saw a young lady yesterday, um, who uh, has had ticks where she hoots and she's got a little tick neck and she goes, hoot, hoot, hoot. 
And uh, and then she also has periods where she can't walk, completely paralyzed from the waist down. Their neurologic workup, they say she's crazy. She's not crazy. She has an inflammatory process going on in her brain, which causes everything to kind of short circuit. And then what happens is we've got to quiet that down. In her case, she she has Lyme disease, uh, and an, uh, and the the words I'm not supposed to use, but I will because they're the medical term, which is autoimmune encephalopathy of infectious etiology. This okay. is where the exactly. <laughs> this is where the immune system. Uh, the acquired immune system has started to attack the brain and cause an inflammation of the brain because an infection set it off. And we, the most common way that happens is a thing called molecular mimicry. That process is where, uh, again, the, the immune system looks at the infection and starts attacking the infection, but it says your tissues look very similar to this. So in addition to attacking the infection, it attacks your own tissues themselves. So our, our problem now comes that we're, we're not just treating the infection, which is what everybody focuses on, and then they miss the damage that's been done to the immune system. So it's not just enough to treat the infection because the immune system is still really aggravated. So you've got to treat the infection, absolutely, because the immune system is appropriately responding to the infection to try and save us. But then it's broken because of this process of molecular mimicry where it's continuing to fight us. It's now continuing, and that us typically is the brain. And as I started to go off with uh, different pieces of the brain, you have to think of the brain itself, which we talked about uh, a second ago, but you also have to think there's an autonomic nervous system. This is the fight or flight, okay? If that starts to break, what happens is you get a symptom called POTS orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. And what happens with that is they stand up, they fall down because uh, your blood, the blood going to your brain isn't able to be maintained because normally the sympathetic system is supposed to close down the blood vessels so that it keeps the pressure high enough to keep it in your brain. And then what happens in these cases is you stand up and it doesn't do that effectively. Your heart rate goes firing up um, trying to compensate for that, but then you get dizzy and frequently you can faint. We see this far more often in kids than adults, but you still see it in adults. I had this then, mold. It was awful, absolutely right. awful. So if I got up, my heart rate would go up like 30 beats per minute just from getting up or just from right. rolling over in bed. It would wake me up with palpitations, the act of rolling over, which was just awful. And you feel trapped when that's happening and you don't know what to do. It's honestly one You're of the darkest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're trapped. Your body's not working. Your mm. body isn't doing the basic things it's supposed to do. Allow you to get out of bed. Yeah. Allow you to stand up. Allow you to sit up. Yes. It's a horrible, horrible thing to have to contend with. Uh, and it's horribly debilitating and really frightening because you don't know what's going on. And then the third part of the nervous system is a peripheral nervous system. So that's your ability to feel and touch and uh know where you are in space or have motor strength. And so another thing that we see uh, is damage to the peripheral nervous system where you can lose strength uh, in the, in the uh, nerves that innervate the muscle. You can lose sensory. So you're not, now you're having trouble. I was working with a young lady yesterday uh, and they've worked her up for a number of different things. And I, I'm going, let's take a walk. So I'm walking with her down the hall and I'm, and, the fact of the matter, her legs are strong 
she doesn't know where her feet are in space because she's lost sensory in the peripheral in the peripheral nerves. And so uh, I'm watching this kind of a wide-based, unsteady gait as she's going down, and I'm going, okay, they missed doing some of the basic studies they needed to do on her. They did an MRI of her brain, they didn't do an EMG nerve conduction study of her legs, and they didn't do a small fiber biopsy. So you've got to, because now I see what's happening in her is she's having her nervous system being attacked uh, in the acquired nervous, in, in the, I'm sorry, in the um, peripheral nervous system in terms of sensory, where she, so she can't feel her feet where she's in space. In terms of, she has POTS, so the autonomic nervous system is being attacked in her. And uh, she also has problems with chronic depression and she has problems uh, with fatigue, focus and concentration issues. So the, the brain itself uh, is also manifesting symptoms. So the big cry, the big alert that I want is everybody to step back and go, wait a minute, you're fatigued, focus and concentration issues, sleep problems, problems with being able to uh, get through your day and do what you're supposed to be able to do, problems with your digestive tract, problems with, now we're looking at a whole bunch of things going on. Your body is crying out to you that something is wrong. Let's step back. Let's take a, an assessment of all of you, okay? And then on the basis of that, let's start piecing together how we can, in fact, help you and quit treating symptoms, mm. all right? Oh, if you're chronically gosh. fatigued, yeah. fine, but that's a symptom. That's mm. not the disease. No, exactly, okay? yeah. If you get chronic pain, that's the symptom. That's not the disease. Mm. If you're chronically depressed, that's the symptom. That's not the disease. And we have to step back and rethink. And we have been so symptom-oriented in a lot of our treatments that we have millions and millions of people struggling because we're not stepping back and doing the detective work we're supposed to be doing as proper physicians mm. and asking the questions. And if, by the way, the lab tests all come back normal, we haven't done the right lab test yet. Mm, yeah, exactly. We ask the right question. Oh, you're preaching to the choir here, Gary. I promise. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's absolutely uh, resonating uh, as a person who had to largely work to find my own answers when, uh, unfortunately, the initial health professionals that I worked with, and that was because mold was really off the radar here in Australia, um, uh, and I've worked very hard to put it on the map here myself as someone who's been through that period of time where you have no answers, every cardiology test, every neurology, everything tells you you're normal. And yet there you are feeling like you may die soon. And that is just the craziest place to be uh, when you are literally facing someone who's been at university for 10 years called a doctor. It is just bizarre. I, I'll, I'll never be able to process what that felt like. And yet I was treated for symptoms. Go see a sleep psychologist. I mean, honestly, that was like, I laughed. <laughs> That's not what I need right now. I don't know what I need yet, but I know it's not that. And um, yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. And, uh, and this business of being seen, heard and respected uh, is so important in people who are struggling with chronic illness. Because the profession tends to write them off. And I, I don't know uh, what the situation is in Australia in terms of insurance and, uh, and medicine. But in the States, we're down to, you know, six, eight minute visits. 
give me your symptom. Let me give you the pill. And get out of here. Mm. Well, we've yeah. got 15 minutes, so we're doing okay, a, little, a little better than you guys. But still, I mean, if you then privately decide to investigate your illness with integrative health professionals, it costs a fortune, but you get seen and heard. And I hate that that is privileged medicine right now, that that is literally because I had my own business and I was able to run things online and keep the money coming in to go get myself help. So many people get that sick and they have nowhere to go. And that breaks my heart. You're absolutely correct. And we've got to figure out how to democratize this. And so one of the things, one of the reasons I, I wrote the book was like, okay, look, there's one of me in the States alone. I know there's over 20 million people struggling with this stuff. So let me, let me put it all together. All right, not just talk about one thing, but talk about the whole spectrum of what we do. Let me tell you how we think. Let me tell you what testing we do. And uh, let me give you the labs that we do the testing with. I have no financial association with any of these labs. Okay, I wanted to, you know, how can I be of service to the greatest number of people and help them at least begin to find a path uh, for the recovery? And Total Recovery laid this out, but why you're still sick uh, is really a self-help book. It's about what's the testing you do? How do we think about this? What are the things you need to look at? What are the labs that can uh, help you get this information? And so that's what we've laid out uh, step by step by step. So how do, you, how do you recover? How do you help be, in a sense, be your own physician? At the very least also, we've, I've made the book such that uh, it's extremely well-researched. We're well over a thousand references that went into this because I know what I'm talking to my colleagues from an academic standpoint, eh, what's in the research? Here's the literature. And uh, we cut the references down to about 350 because it was taking too much space. <laughs> but uh, uh, but and my wife is most grateful for the fact that these stacks and piles of literature are now not in your house. Fi- yeah. Yes, they've been, they've been, we had a medical student here for a month filing and uh, and getting everything into EndNote. I tend to need paper when I'm running. And so uh, so this can also go to your physician and help them understand why you're still sick. Mm. Uh, and hopefully there'll be enough open-minded physicians who will look at this and, and partner with you, which is what we're supposed to do. We're not yeah. supposed to preach from on high. We're supposed to partner with you to help you recover your health to help you recover your life because that's mm. what you want to do right yeah you're not here because you're bored you're here because you're sick and our job is to figure out how you're sick and how we can design a path forward for you in order for you uh, to recover mm-hmm. this business of having separated out uh integrative medicine which is utilizing techniques such as acupuncture manual therapy uh in addition to conventional medicine and, uh, and the herbal medicines and this of, of functional medicine, which is looking, you know, in conventional medicine, when we go to look at your colon, uh, we do that with a scope. Uh, we may do a little bit of testing, but functional medicine takes it at a much deeper level uh, to find out uh, whether or not you have permeability in the gut, whether or not you have a gut microbiome, which is this combination of uh, DNA and RNA from bacteria and parasites and molds that are in your gut that determine the health of your gut, your second brain. Um, And so it's extremely important that we combine all of these into what is good medicine so that we're extending our understanding of how you got sick, why you're staying sick, and, and more importantly, how you can recover. 
Mm. And do you feel like, so just so I'm really clear on this and our listeners are too, are you linking autoimmunity to brain inflammation and therefore the hypervigilance aspect is actually autoimmunity? It's like this haywire immune system that has linked up with the brain to say, okay, you and me, we're partners and we're going to get all the baddies. And then you start seeing baddies everywhere when they're not even necessarily always there. Essentially, that's correct. Okay. But you have to look at the journey because look, 80% of people who get Lyme disease mm. don't go into chronic condition. What's mm. different about them than everybody else? And what people is? Who get, what do you find? Oh. So what we find is that the, there's a setup where the immune system has been challenged and it's been challenged by toxins. It's been challenged by growing up in adverse childhood events and really benign sounding uh, condition, which is child abuse. Uh, people who have been under extreme stress for any of a variety of reasons uh, with post-traumatic stress disorder, problems with sleep. Sleep disorder is a big issue. Um, and sleep apnea in particular, that's when you stop breathing at night. Okay, you literally stop breathing and your brain is now not getting the oxygen it needs or the rest of your body. Sleep apnea affects about 5% of the population and 85% of that population is not diagnosed. Mm. Wow, so that's this, huge. This, it is huge. And sleep apnea is, you know, I'm, I'm a bit evangelical on sleep apnea because A, I have it. Um, <laughs> and, and do you, you do know, the mouth taping? Absolutely, no. Uh, uh, mine, uh, mass taping is, is actually a potential way to treat it without question. Yeah. Uh, but mine is such that I need to see that. Okay. And so uh, continuous positive airway pressure. Uh, I will not go anywhere without my CPAP. I try mm. multiple CPAPs. I travel with them uh, overseas. Uh, when I'm on a plane, if I'm going to sleep on a plane, I will have a CPAP on the plane and I'll use that if I'm taking a, uh, a snooze while I'm uh, heading off to Europe. So, uh, so uh, see, sleep apnea is easy to diagnose. One is, is a thing called an Epworth, E-P-W-O-R-T-H. If you go online, it's a quick scale, quick questionnaire. Do you fall asleep in public places? Do you have, are you rested when you get up in the morning? Do you snore? Do you uh, get sleepy at stop signs and stoplights? Do you uh, get sleepy after a lunch without having any alcohol? Simple, easy questions is a series of, I think, about nine of them. It gives you a score. If you're 10 or above, you need to talk to your doctor about the possibility that you have sleep apnea, and that needs to be investigated. So that uh, is one way in which you can help your brain recover. And if you have sleep apnea, you're at risk of losing 10 years of your life. Mm. sleep apnea untreated will take 10 years off your life and what was it the percentage you said was undiagnosed 85 percent of something 85 percent of people what? who have it are not yet diagnosed worldwide all right this isn't an american problem it's a worldwide problem and so we really need simple things simple it takes two minutes to do your questionnaire and talk about it and then there are now home studies that we can do we use a device called a watch pad uh, where we can send you the watch pad. You can do it at home, okay? It's a disposable device. Uh, and then we can look at the results of the, of the study and say, okay, you have sleep apnea, you don't have sleep apnea. In the States, we can then uh, order a CPAP 
uh, for you without any fuss or muss in because uh, it's an FDA approved device. Uh, so there are lots of ways and fairly easy ways to get that diagnosis. And it can be life-saving because if you're untreated sleep apnea, you're high risk of hypertension, you're high risk of diabetes, obesity. Uh, and as I said, it'll take 10 years off your life if it's not treated. And it can be treated with fairly straightforward means. Surgical solutions for it aren't so great uh, but there, in mild cases, taping the mouth may do the trick. It may do the trick, you know, a dental device, which pulls the jaw forward a little bit, or you may need a, uh, a CPAP. <coughs> so sleep apnea is kind of, let's check that off. Let's make sure that's not your problem. Mm. Um, there's more complex things called narcolepsy. Narcolepsy is uh, a much rarer problem, but if you're having trouble staying awake during the day and sleep apnea isn't your problem, narcolepsy needs to be investigated. That requires more sophisticated uh, testing. But narcolepsy is an autoimmune disease. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Uh, most physicians don't know that either. And so, <laughs> so if you've got an autoimmune process tripped off by an infection and now you've developed narcolepsy, mm. so problem. So I'll give you another example of an autoimmune disease people don't think about, complex regional pain syndrome. Nope. It's a rare bird, fortunately. But it's a, it's a situation where suddenly your arm or your leg, either postoperatively or through a minor trauma, starts to swell, be painful, and it can be quite severe pain. And then it develops a thing called allodynia, which is the hallmark of it. Allodynia is brushing your hand over the area will cause excruciating pain. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Air brushing over the area may cause excruciating pain. Okay. Complex regional pain syndrome is an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. Now, I happen to know somebody personally who developed complex regional pain syndrome, my middle daughter. Oh, wow. How old? Went to the Sarah's in her 30s. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, the definition of a kid in my practice is anyone younger than my oldest daughter. My oldest daughter is 38. Mm-hmm. I'm increasingly having a pediatric factor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Sarah developed this out like out of nowhere. And I'm going, okay, this doesn't make any sense. And she sees a colleague of mine who's a pain specialist and she starts doing blocks on it. And I said, I'm thinking about this going, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is an autoimmune disease. And most physicians do not think of this as an autoimmune disease. So I turned to my colleague in my office and I said, Lisa, would you do me a favor? Do some testing on her for this and specifically let's work her up. Uh, and, and would that be <clears throat> autoimmune markers that you'd be looking yep. at there? Auto, yes. Not just autoimmune markers. I want to know if she's got an infection uh, that set this off. I want to know whether mm. or not uh, there are other processes going on in her. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we now do a complex medical workup on her. This child has Lyme disease. Mm, wow. And so now we're treating her for Lyme disease. And again, it's not like maybe kind of, she has CDC positive Lyme disease. CDC is our uh, center for disease control. And so, and so uh, we treat her, we're now treating her for Lyme disease uh, as well as controlling the pain problems. But now we're addressing the immune component of it. She'll get all better. But had we not done that, and just treated pain and not thought of it as an autoimmune process, 
she would be condemned to being in pain and struggling with this thing for years and years and years and disabled because of it, because it's a little hard to walk when your leg is in so much pain that you can't put pressure on. So this has been critical in terms of, you know, being able to help my own children, help myself, uh, as well as being able to help others. And so this is a big deal. It's a big problem. And by the way, it's not always Lyme disease. In cases of uh, these things, sometimes strep infections can break the immune system uh, and set that off. Sometimes uh, another infection called mycoplasma pneumonia. And tick-borne diseases, by the way, are not just Lyme. They're also uh, Bartonella and Babesia. Babesia, yeah. There's a whole series of things that ticks carry, and different ticks can carry different diseases. So we need to be attentive to that. But backing up again, so what else is the setup? And the setup can be different toxins, as you ran into with mold. So mold is a big deal. Mold is, and again, probably about 20% of the population doesn't have the genes necessary to make the enzymes to break down the mold toxins. So you can be allergic to mold and that's one thing. Uh, but mold toxins, as you well know, is a completely different critter. So molds secrete toxins to, take, to protect themselves in the environment. Well, how do you get exposed to mold? If you're in a water damaged building and the typically the walls are made out of a type of cellulose, wood, and that's what mold loves to grow on, that's food. And then you give it water, it's happy. So now it thrives. And so now what happens is you've got mold growing in your house. You've got off-gassing as a result of the toxins. Your body takes them in and goes, I don't know what to do with that. And so they're fat soluble. So what happens is they end up going through the liver and through the gallbladder. They get excreted into the intestines. And the intestines simply absorb them because they're fat soluble. They haven't been broken down. Now they travel around your body and they go, okay. Now what do I do? Because the body doesn't want them traveling around. So it dumps them into tissues. Well, what's the fattest, fattiest organ in the body? What utilizes the most fat? The brain. Sucks them right up. So now you've got the, these toxins causing inflammation in the central nervous system. Uh, fatigue, focus of concentration problems, headaches, sleep disturbances, POTS. Right, everything we've been talking about now going on. But these are the symptoms of, in this particular case, we're talking about mold toxicity. And that may not, that will incite the innate immune system, all right, the microglia we talked about much earlier, not necessarily the acquired immune system where the antibodies are being made. So that has to be quieted down also. And how do we quiet that down? quiet down that low-dose naltrexone, something under 4.5 milligrams of naltrexone could be highly effective in that. We want to detox the brain. We can use things like glutathione. Glutathione is the most abundant antioxidant in the central nervous system. That can be done by both giving glutathione, but it doesn't have a real long half-life in the, in the bloodstream. So giving NAC, N-acetylcysteine. These are supplements, by the way. So the N-acetylcysteine donates to cysteine groups across the blood-brain barrier, which is the rate-limiting step in making glutathione. So it allows you to make more glutathione in order to detox your brain. The other thing that happens is we need to escort the toxins out of your body. We give you binding agents. So they're in the gut. So when they come into the gut, you need something that'll grab onto them and take them out. Activated charcoal, bentonite clay, chlorella, 
Okay, again, these are all supplements that people can get easy access to in the process of being able to detoxify themselves. And do you, can I ask if you, I've got a couple of questions about everything you just said, because we actually, because of what I went through, ended up attracting a whole bunch of people who are navigating mold themselves quite specifically. Um, so I want to ask you about um, this 20% roughly, like once you know you're one of these canaries when it comes to mold, do you, do you feel that there's a case for a mild, like a mini supplementation of these binders as a prophylactic care in the face of, you know, you might walk into a shopping centre, they've got dirty air con. You might go to a friend's place. It's an old water-damaged terrace house that's been there for 200 years. Like it's impossible to go through life and avoid mould. It's part of our world. Um, so if you are a canary, do you then suggest people stay on these things ongoing in small doses? I think you've got to go back and forth. The problem mm. with binding agents is that they're somewhat indiscriminate, right? So they're going to bind your bind to everything. They're going to, bind, yeah. they're going to bind your medications. And so you need to make sure when you're taking these things that you're taking your supplements and your uh, medications away from all of this stuff. So for instance, thyroid medications need to be taken on an empty stomach. Thyroid is a fairly delicate uh, medication. And so if you're taking thyroid, you need to take it in an empty stomach away from food, along with all of these binders, at least by two hours so that mm. you have a chance uh, to absorb the thyroid. So you need to be smart if you're taking binders on a periodic basis that you take uh, all your uh, supplements at least an hour before, your medications at least an hour before, or two hours after. So we want to make sure that we're creating space for these things to be properly absorbed into your body. Mm -hmm. And then the other question I had was around NAC glutathione. Number one, are you a fan of glutathione patches? Uh, that kind of time release dosage that seems to be available these days seems quite new. So I thought you'd be the man to ask there. And number two, NAC, uh, I can speak for myself personally, and I've spoken to a couple of people who get shortness of breath from it. Is it a sulfur-based product? Is that Could that be why? Is it a molybdenum thing? Yeah. Like, I'm just interested to know what your thoughts are. You can be sensitive to pretty much anything, okay? And so you need to be, you need to be attentive that, pay attention to yourself, right? Just because this is the list of things you should do doesn't mean that uh, it's a good thing for you. So, right, people are allergic to penicillins. Penicillin's a great drug as an antibiotic, but there are some people that it will kill. So we don't want to give it to them. So uh, we have to individualize things. We have to listen to ourselves first and foremost. Uh, and then as physicians, we have to listen to you and see uh, if this supplement is good for you or not good for you. So just because it's a supplement doesn't mean you can't be harmed by it. And yes, it may be that uh, if you have a particular sulfur sensitivity, the cysteines may in fact be aggravating it. So taking that may be a problem. Uh, glutathione is, is a sulfur based, right? This is why it has a, a fairly nasty taste to it if you take it in liquid form. Uh, the patches may in fact be helpful. Uh, again, you have to do the research on the company uh, and make sure that they're producing. Patches are tricky. Patches are, are hard to make, uh, but they can be an effective way of delivering uh, supplements and medications. And so you need to make sure that you're actually getting the levels that you want to be getting. There's some uh, early testing available, and this is part of the challenge, right? Because uh, is the test accurate? 
All right, we have a huge problem in Lyme disease in terms of getting accurate testing in Lyme disease. And many of my colleagues who say, Lyme is really a clinical diagnosis. It's not a laboratory diagnosis because the testing is so poor. The Western blots miss about 50% of the cases. So uh, we're working on developing much more uh, accurate, much more refined testing for Lyme and Bartonella for that matter, uh, and Babesia. So uh, we need to, just because the test is negative doesn't necessarily mean you are. So we have to again, pay attention to you and see what's the best fit so we understand what's going on. So not all supplements are for everybody. Supplements are, you know, uh, they have side effects. And so you need to be thoughtful about which what you're getting. You also need to be careful that the supplement that you're getting, so for instance, melatonin, one study found 75% of the products of melatonin on the shelf don't have in it what they say they have in it. So that becomes a problem. You have to understand the companies that you're working with and make sure that uh, they're conscientious and thoughtful and that they're meeting essentially pharmaceutical standards in producing the product products of vitamin D, uh, which is also essential for, vitamin D is a hormone, all right? Call it vitamin, but it's actually a hormone. It has wide-ranging effects. And if your vitamin D is too low, your immune system does not function well. And how did we find this out? Well, we found this out because we found that there was a belt of people around the equator who had multiple sclerosis at a much lower rate than those of us in the Northern hemispheres or Southern hemispheres. And uh, the reason for that was their vitamin D levels were much higher than those of us moving away from the equator. And that's where the whole vitamin D story really kind of started. And right now in the States, we decided that the proper level is 30 nan nanograms per deciliter in your blood. And everybody should have their vitamin D level measured. Everybody. Uh, and 30 nanograms per deciliter is not correct. It should be 50 to 80 nanograms per deciliter. That's the proper level of vitamin D that should be in your body for optimal immune functioning. Yeah, because there's normal, which is the average of the human population, right. and then there's optimal. Yeah. Correct. Mm. And we want to talk about optimal health. We don't want yeah. to talk about, you know, just. <laughs> no, we don't want to just get by. No, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I've got a question on autoimmune disease and the progress in terms of diagnosis, occurrence, um, case percentage growth in the populations. Has it always been there? Are we getting better at diagnosing it? Or is it a, uh, the onslaught of toxins post-World War II combined with climate change and therefore more um, parasites, pests, insects, etc.? Uh, is it kind of an all of the above? What what have you seen in the history of clinical diagnosis and occurrence of autoimmune disease? So the answer is yes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it is all yeah. of the above. Yeah, we're we're unquestionably seeing a rise in autoimmune disease now. Uh, what my argument is is that there are the classic autoimmune diseases: uh, lupus rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. Those are the classic autoimmune diseases, several more, but, um, and we've always acknowledged those as autoimmune diseases. Autoimmune again being defined where the, our own immune system is now attacking our body in different tissues. So you get Crohn's disease when it's attacking the colon, you have ulcerative colitis when it's attacking the whole intestinal tract. Um, <clears throat> 
you have lupus when it tends to attack the blood vessels. So that's one set of immune disease, autoimmune diseases. My argument is, and the evidence is, that all these things we've been calling chronic fatigue syndrome, that we've been calling non-responsive depression and uh, anxiety disorders, that we have been calling uh, bipolar depression uh, is a neuroinflammatory disease. Specifically, these and problems with PANS, PANDAS, pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome, um, all of these diseases and chronic pain, uh, many of the chronic pain conditions as well, such as grips and such as many chronic fibromyalgia, I'm arguing that those are also autoimmune diseases. I'm arguing that this is a new concept. This is reformulating these diseases and say, wait, 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 wait. They're not so much unique diseases unto themselves. They are symptoms. And they're symptoms of a process where the body has started to attack itself, typically set off as a result of damage to the immune system first. The damage and weakening of the immune system occurs through, as we talked, mold and toxic exposure, heavy metals, pesticides, uh, all these things you talked about in terms of how our environments have changed. And then uh, early childhood abuse that may actually have weakened uh, the system or chronic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, our diets, which have done phenomenal damage uh, to our guts. And then what happens is an infection comes in and now <clears throat> the immune system doesn't respond appropriately, the end result of which is we get very sick and stay sick. COVID, which we're now seeing, uh, COVID, we're looking at somewhere between 10 to 35% of people developing post-COVID syndrome or long hauler. Okay. That's a result of our immune systems going haywire because the bug is not, it's not the bug that's still in our system. It's not that we're chronically ill with COVID. It's COVID has come in, broken the immune system and left. And that's why COVID is such a particularly frightening disease because we see these long haul COVID people who are struggling with shortness of breath and struggling with fatigue and struggling with headaches. Uh, and they're fairly disabled. The good news is, in one part, we know that there's a, a piece of the immune system called uh, the non-classical monocytes. So that's on the innate side that's been broken. And we can test for those doing cytokine testing. Okay, cytokines are the proteins that are inflammatory and anti-inflammatory proteins that are secreted by these immune cells. So we can test for those. And on the basis of testing for those, we can determine what patterns you have and how to treat them more importantly. And we've had great success treating long haul COVID patients. Wow. Um, Can you give us a bit of a window into what that treatment looks like for some people? I mean, we're not trying to say that this is going to work for everybody listening out there who does have long COVID, but just to give people a bit of a vocab of the options that are being tabled. So one of the things we do is we test uh, through, uh, there's a testing lab called InCell Diagnostics that gives us a, uh, a, a cytokine panel. So we look at that and they've done research looking at which cytokines are actually the problem. Uh, there's a lot of cytokines they've identified 14 in particular on this panel. And then on the basis of that, we can use medications such as Celsentry, Moravirac, which is a medication that was originally developed for treating Lyme, uh, sorry, HIV patients. Mm-hmm. But short-term use, pretty good safety record. We can use Pravacol. Pravacol is a Pravastatin. It's a statin medication, which mm-hmm. is actually anti-inflammatory, uh, which again has uh, 
good results short term in terms of helping turn off, turn down the immune system. But then not taking it long term like a regular statin where you'd then be depleting CoQ10 and all that bad stuff. Right. And so when we put people on that, your your point is well taken about CoQ10. We put people on CoQ10 at the Mm. same time we're doing that because we want to protect them. We want to... we want to, uh, things like aspirin, low-dose aspirin, 81 milligrams may be effective again, depending upon the patterns that we're seeing on this stuff. Uh, fluvoxamine, a uh, selective serotonin uh, uh, reuptake inhibitor is, uh, is also effective in reducing inflammation because serotonin medications, by the way, uh, all work as anti-inflammatories. If SSRIs, these antidepressants, worked on serotonin specifically, then why don't they work in the first couple of days we take them? That's not what happens. What they are is they're anti-inflammatory and it takes uh, a couple of weeks to see them start to become effective and a month to see them fully effective. But that's because their mechanism of action, while it does have, it's focused on uh, selective uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, it also is anti-inflammatory, reduces the activity of the microglia in the central nervous system. So we can use these medications uh, to help reduce uh, it, the inflammation of the system. And for post-COVID syndrome, typically a month or two months of treatment with this stuff, and they're fixed. Wow. They're ready to go. And then do you find patients need to be tapered off these medications because of the nature of some of the ones that you're using? Sometimes they need to be tapered. Although um, if we're finding that a patient is not responsive to these medications, that's where we step back and we go, oh, wait a minute, maybe we've got a more complex problem. Maybe we've got somebody with mold toxins. Maybe we've got somebody... Uh, who has other toxins in their system, such as heavy metals. Maybe they've got a long-term infection. Certainly we find people who have been kind of living with Lyme disease and COVID comes along and bang, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And so so we've got to uh, be thoughtful. If we're not responding to treatment, then that's giving us a piece of information that says, let's back up and see if there's something more complicated going on here. Uh, and do that. And then a paper that we're getting ready to publish uh, with Dr. Bruce Patterson uh, is we're, we're now looking to redefine a lot of illnesses by cytokine patterns. Mm-hmm. So we're, so Makes sense. A paper, well, but we're getting better at diagnostics and that's mm. exciting because we can more individualize treatments as a result of having better information and understanding exactly why you're sick. So uh, this paper that we published uh, or public, we've submitted for publication. This is looking at saying, okay, MECSF, uh, myosin cephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome has a particular cytokine pattern. And post-Lyme syndrome, post-treatment Lyme syndrome has a particular cytokine pattern. And post-COVID syndrome has a particular cytokine pattern. And we're starting to be able to redefine these diseases by biomarkers, right? Because mm-hmm. otherwise we're treating you according to what you look like. Yeah. And if I've got biomarkers, I got targets I can aim at in order to be able to help get you better. And so we've got lots of things that uh, very exciting time in medicine. The cytokines are going to completely redefine uh, how we diagnose and how we treat. And so this is extremely exciting uh, with another tool in our hands in order to be able to help help you get better. Mm. So I mean, and if you think about cytokine storms, I learned about them by going through one, but like five years before COVID and I talked about it and no one knew how to define what I was going through. And I had to find it in my own research online. And 
I, I mentioned a cytokine storm suspicion to um, one of the GPs that I went to see when I got some blood tests. And he was like, well, this is all a bit of a mystery then, isn't it? And I got shown the door. And yet now I feel like this is an amazing silver lining, if there could be one, of COVID, of an awareness of these long hauler syndromes. I mean, many of us have been long haulers for many other things for decades without any recognition. And I feel like that combined with cytokine storm awareness is really helping to raise overall awareness for neuroinflammatory processes. You're 100% correct. And this has been the silver lining with COVID. COVID, as horrible as it's been, uh, has advanced our understanding of immunology and advanced our understanding of virology probably by about 10 years. Wow. Forward. And, uh, and then it gave validity to everybody who was talking about chronic fatigue syndrome and it's giving probably validity to all these people who were talking about brain fog and focus and concentration issues and insomnia and going, wait, 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 you weren't faking you weren't lying to us. You weren't making this up. You weren't crazy. In fact, your brain was inflamed. That where Phoenix and alone at a horrific cost in terms of what's going on with COVID gives hope for millions more to be able to be listened to, respected, and believed, and better yet, be able to have a solution for you. So it's been a mixed bag with COVID, but COVID has opened the eyes of many, many physicians uh, and given the opportunity to say, you know what, your brain's inflamed. And when you're, and here's how your brain got inflamed. And there are now things we can do to help you recover. Amazing. And how do you feel in that regard that we can broaden the conversation about options and treatments to hopefully put an end to this idea that nutrient therapy through supplementary targets, um, acupuncture, like all the different tools out there that definitely work. Uh, different people, you know, different strokes for different folks, of course, different amounts, different times, uh, different illnesses. But it, it just seems so unfair that a whole bunch of options are completely um, poo-pooed because, and, and they're actually being called not science. And it, for me, that is a really sad thing in a moment of opportunity to actually broaden our scientific understanding of how so many things can work to make us feel the best we could feel. How do you feel as someone who lives in both worlds as a doctor? You know, it's a, it's a great big problem and it's a critical problem to address. And so there's a couple of ways that I'm going about working it. Uh, one is I, I teach at Georgetown, and so I'm teaching medical students. Docs are the most parochial creatures on the planet. We didn't hear it in medical school. It doesn't exist. And so being able to teach acupuncture, which I just taught a uh, course in uh, last week, to the medical students, they've heard it. They heard it at Georgetown. It must be real. And so they have greater respect for it. Another thing we did, we, we did an international conference in February of this year on uh, the autoimmune encephalopathy and infectious etiology. The conference was open to- Sexy uh, conference the there, Gary. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but this is everything we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And 
And so it was about educating my colleagues about this. And we had literally some of the top people in the world talking about, you know, Sean Feld talking about epigenetics. Uh, we had people from Oxford talking about genetics. We had people uh, from uh, Columbia talking about the psychological consequences of getting Lyme infections. We had people, uh, Bruce Patterson talking about uh, post-COVID and talking about uh, the cytokine panels from Stanford. So we had people from some of the best institutions around the world talking about this so that now, and this is available on the website of Foundation for Total Recovery, you can pull these uh, lectures, your physician can listen to these lectures so that we can educate the public and my colleagues about uh, the importance of this stuff, how to think differently about this stuff. We're going to do this study that you and I had talked about earlier, looking at kids who are in the juvenile detention system and in psychiatric hospitals. And it's a survey study. And the study is going to be, okay, why, why are you here? Are you here because, in fact, you're sick and we've missed a diagnosis? And my bet is somewhere between 25 and 45% of the kids that we're going to test will, in fact, be sick. And if we identify them as sick, we can help them. We can help them and say to them, here's a path forward in order for you to have a go good life because you have an illness and we can fix it. Yeah. And so and as can we publish we... this stuff. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I just want to interrupt you to ask, can we follow this research somewhere and see how it's going or do we have to wait a few years? Well, the Foundation for Total Recovery, uh, we've got uh, all of uh, the conferences available there. Brilliant. That have access to. I'll make sure we uh, put and... them in the show notes. Thank you. Hmm. And, uh, and so uh, that's one place that we're doing it. And uh, that'll probably be the best is we'll start giving newsletters and, and talking about what we're doing. It takes a lot to put a study together. Uh, I've got researchers from uh, uh, around the country putting their minds together to be able to accomplish this. Uh, but hopefully uh, within the next year, we'll be ready to launch and uh, get that done. It'll be a relatively short time period to get it done. And then um, probably two years from now, we'll actually have the results. We'll be able to talk about that. And I think that that, and, it's, and I chose that study because I think it'll be a game changer. If we can, in fact, demonstrate how many kids are sick and that we've not been treating them properly. For example, you and I talked earlier about this one young woman who came into my practice uh, who uh, was told she's 10 years old, she develops obsessive compulsive disorder, just out of the blue. And so they start treating her psychiatrically for obsessive compulsive disorder. No one asks whether or not she's had an infection. They just start treating her for obsessive compulsive disorder. Then she develops uh, problems uh, with uh, depression. As she's getting older, she develops problems with cutting behavior because she's so distressed within herself, suicidality, and she gets hospitalized. Okay. Now, what do you think this has done to the self-esteem of this poor young woman? And all this time she's been told she's crazy. They then... Uh, parents bring her to me because I'm a neuroinflammatory guy and they say, is your brain inflamed? And we start doing testing. And again, I know Lyme disease comes up frequently uh, in my practice because I live in a Lyme endemic area, but she in fact had Lyme disease. Mm. She was sick. Yeah. She wasn't crazy. She was sick. All and those we're beautiful years her. she could have had. Absolutely. I mean, you can't so put now, it with a shoulda, right? That's Right. It's not useful, but at the same time, there's so many kids that are we in the We have family. to do better. Yeah. We have to do better. We have adults, we have young patients. Most of my practice is somewhere between uh, adolescents 
abs about 40 years old. I see mm-hmm. people who are older than that, certainly. But the bulk of my patients, these are people who have been cut down literally in their prime. They're people who have, can't work, have had a drop out of school, bright, really incredible uh, kids. Uh, and they can't function. Moms who can't take care of their kids, they can't participate in their families because they're bedridden with this stuff. And so, and they, the diagnosis was missed and not properly treated. And now we can. And that's the most important message. Now we can. Because now we can make the diagnosis. Now we can get the proper treatments to them. And now we can successfully return them to their lives. Now, I do want to put a caveat. It's not 100%. We're still learning. We still have more to learn and grow, but we now have so much more information. We're so much better at this than we were just five years ago. Yeah. That there's a lot of people that we can help totally recover their lives. And that's what we want to do. Mm, so inspiring. Um, I have uh, one more question about that, uh, the psychological piece. So we recover, we, you know, treat the bad guy, we correct the immune system, like things are starting to look up. But that um, that hypervigilant trauma response, that's a really tricky one to, um, to heal and often takes a bit more time. Uh, how do you feel uh, this, uh, this looks in the, when you treat patients? Like wh- where do you send people? What do you do? Because there are often... This is some really interesting ways we can retrain amygdalas and like there's so many fantastic uh, cutting edge uh, supports out there today. What are some of your favorite ways to tackle that aspect? So I think the very first thing you need to be doing is making sure you reduce the inflammation in the brain because an inflamed brain ain't going to process as well. But otherwise, we do a lot of work. We have a psychologist who works in the office with us. Uh, and uh, we do, and they have to be trained in trauma therapy, which is different than cognitive behavioral therapy. So using EMDR, uh, using neurofeedback uh, are two particular ways that we do. Sometimes using things like heart math can be very effective in helping uh, reduce anxiety and helping kind of reset the system. Uh, So there are a number of different training programs that can help reset, but they're not gonna work real well until uh, you've reduced the inflammatory process itself. At the same time, if you've had a lot of child abuse, if you've had, uh, if you've got post-traumatic stress syndrome walking into this, okay, because that's what weakened the immune system, we need to deal with that also. So that needs to be dealt with as part and parcel of everything else that we're doing. There is this business of separating mind from body is done. <laughs> done. 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 Mm. Uh, they're one of the same, and you've got to be respectful and treat both and you need to balance according to what the individual needs at that time and so it's a matter of going back and forth we do a lot of trauma work with our patients and we do a lot of neural resetting uh in the process of helping them recover because you're absolutely correct even though the inflammation has gone away uh there is still an imprinting of bad habits if you will yeah and so we need different techniques in order to be able to help re-equilibrate the brain. And that can take another year on top of everything else that's been gone on. But it does yeah. recover. They do recover. They do get better. Brilliant. And do you find <coughs> that we can actually become more resilient in the face of future infections, future exposures, 
if we do that work to truly recover as opposed to just treat a few symptoms, feel a bit better for a while and then get hit with another thing and then go down again? You're absolutely correct. And in fact, what this tells us is how to build resilience into the system. That's the ultimate goal. I also happen to be an advisor to a uh, longevity uh, mastermind group. So it's about how is it we get to live to be 120 or 160 perhaps? And the answer is we need to get all these toxins out of our system. We need to be eating clean. We need to get rid of the glyphosates in our diet. We need to get rid of uh, the pesticides in our diet. We need to get rid of the heavy metals that we may be exposed to either from fish. I had one young woman come into the practice, 14 years old. The only thing she'll eat is tuna fish. The only thing she'll eat is tuna fish. Aha, exactly. Well, guess who's mercury toxic? <laughs> so, you know, we've soiled our nest and unfortunately we have to be increasingly vigilant about this. If there are early childhood traumas, they have to be addressed. They have to be addressed. And so all of this is about building resilience back into our system, making sure we're eating healthy, making sure we're exercising, making sure we're getting best, best anti-inflammatory in the central nervous system, exercise. So making sure we're exercising in a regular meditation is this spectacular anti-inflammatory in the nervous, central nervous system. Not my opinion. These are good studies showing that we see uh, brain areas rejuvenating and uh, being revitalized by virtue of chronic chronic meditation, if you will. I meditate every every day from anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. So this is part of, of my building my resilience to stay healthy and vital. I got a lot of work to do and I need to be around for a long time. I need to make sure I'm getting adequate sleep, not adequate sleep. I need to make sure I'm getting good sleep, that I'm sleeping seven to eight hours a night. Okay, and sleep, you want to be careful. Too much sleep actually is detrimental as well as too little sleep. So the sweet spot looks at about seven hours, seven and a half hours. Individualized, you may need to move on either side of that. But over nine hours looks like it may be detrimental unless you're a teenager and you want nine and a half hours. And, uh, and then uh, getting under uh, six and a half hours of sleep is also detrimental for you. So we want to do both all of the things we do and making sure we're eating a low tox, leading a low tox life, that we're in fact staying healthy, vigorous, strong, uh, and that we're doing everything to take care of ourselves and detoxing as necessary so that we can have a long, healthy, productive life. Because it's not about adding years, it's about adding quality. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Gary. You, you felt like you were just about to say something else. Do you want to say something else before we wrap up? Uh, there's a lot more, actually. I know. I can totally but, feel but, a part two coming on, down the track. Mm. The, uh, but it's about, you know, this business of being able to live a long, kind of life is important. First, we can recover. So now we can get you recovered and get you healthy. And then we can talk about being able to do lots of things for many years to come. Mm. Uh, and that's what we want, a healthy, vital life uh, throughout life. That sounds like a beautiful goal. Uh, thank you for writing the book so all of us could benefit all around the world uh, from getting a window into how you've supported so many patients. Uh, I'm very excited about the research you're doing for at-risk youths. I think that is huge and so important. 
everyone should get a chance uh, to have a great childhood and feel well going into adulthood. I mean, the teen years are hard enough. If you're sick as well, that's really tough. So thank you for doing that work. And I look forward to welcoming you back on the show. Alex, thank you. It's been a complete pleasure being here. Um, I hope uh, we've given your, your listeners hope uh, and optimism that they can have a very good, very long life. So the book is Why You're Still Sick, uh, How You Can Recover. And uh, it's be, come out June 14th on Amazon. And uh, otherwise, you can go to our website now, and we'll give you the first chapter of the book free, kaplanclinic.com. Uh, and we'll also give you a booklet on post-COVID syndrome and what it is and how to recover. Brilliant. Thanks, Gary. Alex, thank you. It's a privilege. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.